Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Michael Anschel of OA Design Build Architecture. Michael is a nationally recognized expert on green design, remodeling, and building, and he writes, trains, and speaks for various publications and events around the world. His building assemblies have been published in numerous publications, including the U.S. Department of Energy. He is the owner of OA Design Build, an award-winning, nationally celebrated design build and architecture firm, and CEO of Verified Green, Inc., which consults with local government, product manufacturers, suppliers, builders, and architects on green building. Michael led the effort to develop MN Green Star and is past president of the National Green Star Alliance, and he also teaches green building at Boston Architectural College. Born in Minnesota, he attended Capital Norman University in Beijing and the U of M. He has had the honor of presenting at Harvard's Center for Joint Housing Studies and the United Negro College Fund. He helped develop the city of St. Paul's sustainability building policy and rewrote Minneapolis's yard ordinance. Named number 25 in Metro Magazine's 100 Reasons to Love the Twin Cities and called one of the nation's most outspoken green building advocates, by Minnesota Business, Michael successfully straddles the building design and green worlds by engineering profitability into sustainability. Now for the conversation with Michael Anschel. Hey, Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Spencer. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. And um, yeah, I always kick these things off. Just give us a rundown of the business today. You know, where are you located? What kinds of projects are you doing? Company name, all that, that good stuff. Sure. So the company is OA Design, Build, and Architecture. We're located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is our 27th year in the remodeling industry, which is awesome. wild. <laughs> <laughs> we do a wide range of things, mostly residential, mostly remodeling. We do we build a couple new homes every now and then. They're usually kind of unique, passive solar or high performance structures. We build a couple of big commercial buildings, but our what we really love are, are kind of that 19, uh, 1880 of 1980, <laughs> 1880 <laughs> to 1940s era, older structures, a little more complicated, a little funky. And we do everything from, you know, a, a kitchen remodel to uh, some pretty large additions to, you know, tearing it down and, and starting it over. So pretty wide range of stuff. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, I'm guessing then 27 years, it probably didn't start that way doing all those types of projects. Did you start the company or how did it all begin? I started it. I was working for 
I came back for, I was living in, I lived in, in Asia. I lived in China for a couple of years in Japan. Uh, and I came back to the States to finish my degree and part-time was working for this handyman guy. I learned a lot. I also learned a lot about how not to run a business. <laughs> Sometimes that's more helpful. <laughs> right. And um, thought, you know, this is kind of fun. It was a good way to, to take what I knew from my time in ceramics and the art world and chemistry and kind of apply it over, over here. It took off. We did historic restoration type projects, a lot of restoration work, and then that slowly morphed into remodeling and taking on some, you know, some twists, some modern play instead of just being directly in that vernacular of historical accuracy. And then, yeah, I went from being like the carpenter, the designer, and the salesperson with a couple guys under me to running a couple of crews to then handing off production management and then handing off the design work and eventually just moving myself into an ownership position, you know, where I set the tone and the culture and the direction, you know, deal with legal stuff. But largely, I'm involved in maybe three or four projects a year out of the maybe 30 or so that we, that we're involved in. So. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. It is. That's cool. Oh uh, yeah. Well, that's a wrap. We've covered everything. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm really interested in the transition. You said you were working for a handyman and you kind of learned how to do some things, but how not to do some things. What was it that made you say like, I'm going to start my own thing. Was it literally just like, I'm enjoying this, but I don't like the way that this operation is being run or was it, was it something different? Cause I feel like that shift to I'm going to start it. I'm going to take this initiative is, is a big leap. Yeah. I didn't grow up in the trades. I had no intention of, of being in the trades. My goal was to get my degree and get back over to Asia and do business over there and buy and sell stuff. Um, but this relationship with the material and using my hands was really fulfilling and nourishing. And I kind of fell in love with it. And I think what I realized was there's a lot of folks who like working with their hands who don't necessarily have the business acumen or the discipline to run a company and to provide an experience for the client that is positive and consistent and, and to be profitable in that process, which I did pretty well. So it was like this nice marriage of working with my hands and my brain. And then after a few years, my body was also like, stop, stop this. This is, (laughs) (laughs) this is not healthy. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, that was, I was going to kind of ask about that because it's, I I think uh, at least the way you've described it, you having all of those skill sets, I'm sure you've developed some of them over time, but I think that's, pretty rare or you have to work really hard to like you're a craftsman and then you're like now I have to learn the business piece did you feel like which parts came easy and which parts came really hard the customer all easy yeah no, no yeah yeah it was definitely not all easy the customer service part came really easy and having a general sense of this is a good business practice this might not be one of my strengths is I'm not I don't have a problem asking for help. Mm. And I realized, really, yeah, I mean, it's a huge, right? Yeah. And I'm not intimidated by other people doing a task better than I am. So I'm an okay carpenter. Back then I was a pretty mediocre carpenter, but you know, you hire a top-notch carpenter and that makes the difference, right? Likewise, 
you know, uh, accounting is not something that I get excited about. So I hired someone who, you know, to, to, as a bookkeeper and, and same thing with like building science or even how to build stuff. I, in fact, this is a good fun story. I sold an edition. I'd never built an edition. I had a carpenter who was pretty good, but he'd never built an edition. And, you know, I went to the library and I found the yeah. Journal of Light Construction Handbook. And I found a number of other books. I found Stebrick's book on building in cold climates. And, you know, we sat there and we followed the instructions on how to cut a bird's mouth and how to measure for angle. There's so much information that's out there. So we have our, our framing inspection and the building inspector comes on site and we realize we've got these books sitting on the ground and, the, and <laughs> oh man, he's going to, he's going to know that we are just like, we're hacks. And he came and he saw the books and looked at the framing and he's got this big grin on his face. He's like, finally, contractor who actually will go and read how to put it together <laughs> and then put it together. Right. And I realized inspectors are your best friends. So I think as we built the business, it wasn't about knowing how to do it. It was knowing what I didn't know and then reaching out to those resources and saying, hey, teach me what you can so I get the basics of it. And then what should I look for when I bring somebody in? What skill sets should I be keeping an eye out for? And then never really ever stopping. I think even now it's like what technology, what system, what way of thinking, you know, selling virtually, which like that's what we do now. Is was a crazy is a crazy idea, right? But people do it, so why wouldn't why can't we do it? You know, so yeah, yeah. That's uh, I love I love that example of just like yeah, going old school, go to the library, pick up the books, like learn it. You know, and uh, you said it's an ongoing process, which I'm a huge believer in. It's like always be learning. There's plenty of stuff you don't know. I'm curious to understand maybe your mindset around. Is there a method or a framework you use for? How do you uncover what you don't know or what you need to learn next? Oh man, I think you have to have a curious mind, and I think I think entrepreneurs in general have that. They look out at the world and they say, "What's the world missing, and how could I make that system better?" I don't know what I would say other than I definitely spend a lot of time looking outside of our industry. Mm, yeah, modeling is a fairly young industry; it's not fully formed, you know. I mean, I think that we're like, as industries go, we're like, we're like a 13 year old kid. We're really cocky. We think we know what we're doing. And there's like <laughs> a bunch of 60 year olds walking, sitting around looking at us like a small child, looking out across other countries, industries, not just our own, not just the U S you know, how would they take this on in Japan? How would they take this on in China? What is it about those countries processes like lean, right? We use the, the lean system, which was developed in Japan, to be more efficient and safer and produce better products. Volvo, when China bought Volvo, you know, they redesigned the thing entirely different. It's a way better car than it ever was when it was being built in Sweden. So what is it that they're doing when they look at their stuff? And how can I take those ideas or those ways of seeing and maybe bring them back to our industry? Or is there something that we've established as a norm? That is simply just, that's just the way we've done it. And there's no real good, like there's not a good scientific reason for this is why we do it that way. So maybe that, maybe that's the answer is if you keep, if you look at everything you're doing and saying, and ask the question, why do I do it that way? And if there isn't a really good answer, then that to me is an opportunity for improvement or change. And then 
And then of course the world is changing around us. So you have to adapt. So whatever systems we built in 20, you know, in 2002, you know, by 2012, we're largely outdated by 2022. I mean, Absolutely. yeah, <laughs> I, I did never heard of zoom three years ago. Did Right. And now it is the platform we're talking on. So video conferencing has become like, it's a tool. So why wouldn't we bring that into our arsenal and how can it reshape uh, organization? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm a huge believer in kind of looking outside and then br- and pulling back because I feel like, uh, I mean, we're, we're digital marketers at heart. That's our core. And so we're like wrapped up in technology and social media and, and, and everything. But then it's, it's funny because you kind of get a glimpse into that whole world, even just like a software company, how do they operate? And then you go, why aren't we doing some of these things over here as remodeler, you know, and, and instantly you bring a concept, like we had been selling on zoom for a decade. And then it was like the remodeling industry, something happened and it forced that, but you're going, yeah, until then it was a wacky idea, but why to your point, like asking that question, like, why is there a better way? Is there a more efficient way? And so I, I do really like that idea of just like looking outside at other industries and I think if you can pull one or two ideas and adapt them, like now you're the leader, right? Like you're the innovator uh, yeah. in your industry. So um, I is, love that. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take much to be a leader in the remodeling industry. <laughs> I mean, I say it half jokingly. There's some really, really brilliant minds out there, but it's, yeah. It is, yeah, it's pick up a tool like, you know, drones, right? Drones weren't a tool. Now they are. Some folks are using drones a lot. And they're making really cool social media about their projects, and that changes how they their visibility. And who knows what tomorrow's tool will be, right? It, it's yeah, it's predicting technology is is a really tough job. <laughs> well, as you like think about your twenty seven year journey that you've been on so far, you know when you kind of breeze through, you know I, I did this and I hired a couple of people and hired, and now I just kind of like set the tone. You like made it sound really really simple, and obviously that was a very like brief you know, snippet of a 27 year journey, but I'm curious, like, were there any big pivot moves that you made where it just like you were doing something one way and then it was like, you kind of made a big shift or maybe you're doing certain projects and you're like, now we're going in another direction that really like stood out to you as like milestones. That is an awesome question, Spencer. A couple, I think a couple. One, I, we got hired early, early on commercial retailer hired us to, to, to renovate the interior and everything had to be painted white. And it was like, I went snow blind <laughs> there and I decided that was it. We're never painting all white ever again. And since then, all of our projects were known for using a lot of color, but, but what happened because we did that was we got a reputation for being more creative and using color that attracted a clientele that was interested in a firm that was doing something that was a little different. And it was this self-perpetuating thing that pushed us into a niche of really kind of exclusive space where people will gladly pay us to come up with really unique stuff. The other was when we shifted into green building in the early 2000s, I saw an ad in the New York Times where British Petroleum had rebranded themselves beyond petroleum. (laughs) And I thought, when an oil company takes starts spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to rebrand themselves, I, that's probably worth taking note. And we ended up being kind of the leaders in our state for green building. We started a, the state green building program. We helped lead the development of it. And 
as we went through some of the recessions, there's been a few, we found that community appreciation for what we valued actually is, meant that when people had to pick where they were going to send their work, they were sending it to us. Mm. And so having a, a position, a community or a human-based position became part of our marketing, which in the, over the last three years where things have gotten really crazy has also really helped us differentiate ourselves from our competition. So I guess I'm bringing these all up because these are like, these are all pivots, right? Mm-hmm. That allowed us to go into a niche or to stand apart. Seven or eight years ago is maybe the, the, the most recent big shift, which was we shifted to transparency and estimating. We changed the way we estimate. We moved away from single margin markups. We, we, sh- we don't mark up materials. We don't mark up subs. We show the clients how we arrive at the number. We, you know, we take that black box, black box apart, throw it away. And that has been huge. And for us, it's changed. We're much more profitable as a result because we have better sense of our numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're able to react to market condition with a dynamic margin, which makes us more competitive. And I think that our our market differentiator as we've evolved has been you know, one where the client is excited about coming to us because they know that they'll get to see how we get to that endpoint, and they're 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 on our team. We're we're their ad. We use this this phrase: we're the advocate of the client to the construction industry. And so we're not even a remodeling company anymore. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> we moved into this. Like, what is our mission, purpose, vision? And we moved to this. Well, we're a well-being. Like our what we do is we improve the lives of our clients and the well-being of the community. We do that. Uh, we do that through the tools of architecture and the tools of construction. But our purpose is not remodeling. Our purpose is, you know, improving the quality of life and helping our employees have a space where they get to pursue the things that they love. And it's it's a very different. And it's like a little shift, right? But it opens up this whole world of possibility in terms of what you do as a company and how you function and how you perform. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I want to hit on a few things there. Dive in a little deeper, though. Going back to your first pivot, you kind of talked about the the white walls, and then or everything was white, and then you kind of changed that. I think one, it's it's funny how something so little at the time, like I don't know if you thought at the time you're like, oh, we just don't want to do all white anymore. That was like, did (laughs) did you know it was going to lead you down this path of like, now we're attracting all these people that want to do you know stuff with more color and design and everything. Not at all. Yeah, no, it was like, yeah, yeah, it was totally selfish. (laughs) And I think that's so fascinating how sometimes like you're almost like. You know, I don't know. You said entrepreneurs were kind of looking for better ways to do stuff or more creative. I mean, you're kind of following your gut. Like, we didn't like that. Like, that's not us. It doesn't feel right to who we are as a company. Like, we're going to do this. And then, but then it does like start taking you down that path. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like when you're looking for like those company pivots in the moment, it's weird to kind of like try to zoom yourself out and go, is this something I'm going to look back on and be like, this was a huge inflection point? Or is this just kind of like a, day-to-day decision that we just made. They're like, yeah, we're just not doing white anymore. You know? Yeah. (laughs) uh, I don't know. It's so fascinating to reflect back on those moments. Cause I feel like so often you just, you're just rolling, right? You're like, yep, going, going, going. And then you're like, oh, wow, that was actually, that set us down this really good course. (laughs) So I don't know if there's like an answer there. It's just kind of an observation as you were talking through. (laughs) 
No, I mean, I think it's a great observation and I think it would be disingenuous to, to present, oh yeah, we were very, you know, very strategic in each of these moves and we knew what the outcome would be. And we did a focus group, but you know, it was, this feels good. This feels right. You made you made a comment. It wasn't a good fit for the company, or or it does, this isn't our company. I think that if you follow that as like kind of a beacon, like do I enjoy the work? Yes or no. If you're not enjoying the work, you need to pivot into work that you enjoy. Otherwise, the fire goes out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to want to show up <laughs> if I don't love what I'm doing. Totally. So if that means the company morphs and shifts and changes, cool. And it usually you're going to provide the fire and the fuel if you love it to, to, to propel it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Totally agree. And I appreciate you like saying like, yeah, that was just kind of a decision that just felt like normal and right, but it wasn't like this huge plan. Whereas I would, from my sense of it, you observing BP and their shift, and then you kind of talking about the green building, you know, and that sort of thing, that feels like a, it had more intention behind it. Maybe you didn't know what it would lead to, but you were kind of like, I'm looking and I'm looking at how do I compare that to what's going on in my world? And maybe I should be looking to do something. I don't know. Is that true? Or that was just another day? No, that one, that one was really strategic. That was definitely strategic. And it was clear that it wasn't just BP, that it was, mm-hmm. there were other manufacturers, there was there are other companies that were starting to diversify. They were starting to look f- for alternate products. We saw reformulation of Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams were starting to reformulate some of their products. We were seeing mm-hmm. legislation on the West Coast that was pushing for tighter controls. All of those are good signs. Like, If we can get ahead on this one, that's going to position us really well to be in a good place. It also helps that it's the right thing to do. I mean, yeah. Right. It wasn't yep. like here's a here's an evil way I can make money. This was like, hey, good for humanity, you know, good for the environment. Um, also slightly higher price point, also slightly more exclusive. And also almost no one's playing in this in this sandbox. So let's go, let's go own the sandbox to the extent that we can. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Another note on that, I feel like uh you're hitting on one of those things where I've I've observed it at different times. If you can be the fast follower, it's like a great spot to be in. You know, you're not on the bleeding edge. Like you're not, you're not the big guys like moving, spending all this money. You're like, oh, I've seen five of them do that now. I'll just move in behind because now I see that the the, the tidal wave is going. But then I, I always think about our industry of, of remodeling and building, and you kind of described us as a young industry. And I feel like in a way that's true, but we're also I would say slower to adopt new technology or pivot quickly. And so if you can just be a little bit faster than the industry, but not as fast as all the tech people, like you're sitting in a great spot, you know, (laughs) kind of in the middle there where you reduce your risk, but then put yourself at the forefront of your, your industry. Do you feel like that's kind of what happened there with, because I feel like you said early two thousands with the green, that was probably early. I feel like it was like 2010 through 12 where people were still like, (laughs) Green, yeah, like I'm going to get green certified, and you were already probably in it a decade. First, your observation, I think, is spot on. I like that fast follower. You're not necessarily throwing all of your energy and and breaking the ice, but you're, you know, you're right there, second, third place, and you have more in reserve. You end up spring leapfrogging, I think, once things start to coast. And yeah, I want to say 2005 is when we launched. 
the state green building program here. And it was, it was like the hottest thing in, in the world. <laughs> we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of contractors lining up to get trained. And, and then 2007, 2008 happened. So it was one of those, I didn't know that that was going to, I didn't know that 2007, eight was going to happen until 2006. Yeah. And the writing was pretty clearly on the wall for, for that. Maybe put in a plug for, hey, business owners, it's really important that you look at like futures reports and you follow all the predictive modeling that comes out of Harvard and whatnot to, to know what's coming. But yeah, in 2000, it was, it was brand new and people weren't really sure what it was. And it went through a really fast evolution, you know, in those seven years as it, you know, yeah. And in, until it became mainstream. And I think then it, the, after the recession, it returned as being something that is very much in, in the popular vernacular and outside of residential remodeling, like in multifamily green building is huge. And so you will meet people who in their own little siloed vertical, they're like, ah, green building, no one does that anymore in your little silo. That might be the case, but if you step outside of your silo, there's a much larger industry. Multifamily is much, much larger. And green building certification is everywhere. Commercial buildings, it's still very much, you know, like a lead certified commercial building is almost an, a requirement now. I think that's yeah. a roundabout way of asking, answering your question. I don't know if I actually got to an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, you guys were were early on that. I mean, in terms of our industry, and I think that's really what I was what I was getting at there is kind of being that that fast follower. And then your like final pivot where you kind of talked about. It almost feels like you guys, I don't know if you went through a kind of the like Simon Sinek, you know, find your why sort of thing as a company, but as you were describing kind of how you guys operate today, you know, with that last like transparent pricing and it's like, hey, we just, we're helping improve the community. We just happen to do remodeling, you know, that kind of tie in there. I feel like when you position yourself that way, it kind of sets you, sets you apart. So it's, it's cool to hear you talk through those pivots. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Now I'm going to pivot and I'm just going to ask like any like wacky client stories or weird projects that you can share with us like over the years, just either something super crazy or uh, something where you're like, I'll only share this if I remove the names involved. (laughs) Oh man, We've we've had some wacky clients. One of the weirdest leads that we went on was this, uh, 
fellow from Germany who was here in Minnesota. He wanted to build a recording studio and he found this property. We have a lot of big lakes here. It was on an island on one of those lakes. So they picked us up on, on snowmobiles and drove us out across this lake to this island to look at the property to figure out what could be done. And the plans for this studio included like a piano that could disappear in the floor. But because of the weight of some of the things that he wanted, we couldn't bring him in by helicopter. And so we actually had to, draw, we drew up plans for a temporary bridge that we could bring a convoy from, you know, because cement and all of this stuff, right? Yeah. From, from like the regular land out across the water. That was definitely like, do you just have, you just have money to burn type of project? Like this is insane. Yeah. Did they end up, did they end up doing it? Like you guys went through and did all that? Or? No, we were, we were in feasibility and we were going through the stuff. And one of my staff found an article and this guy was like, he was wanted in Spain for not paying his hotel bill after spending, being there for like two months. And oh, geez. Yeah. He had like a, 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 a warrant out for his arrest in Europe. So we, we, um, we cut those strings. Smart, smart. Yeah. yeah. A quick Google search goes a long way. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, if it would have gone through, that would have been probably the the coolest project. <laughs> uh, stuff dropping through the floor and everything. Yeah. Well, right on. Well, um, hey, a couple of questions for you to kind of wrap up. As you look to the future, what do you see now? Like you, you've had you've gone through a bunch of different transitions. What's the next like three to five years look like for you guys? For us or for the industry? For you guys specifically. Yeah. So for us. We're really looking forward to 2023 and getting, you know, there was the scramble to stay alive. And then now there's this like scramble to process the work. And I think we're really looking forward to a little softening in the market and a little more time to breathe. Isn't we that def- funny? I just think about that, you know, because <laughs> great recession, we're like, we just need any job, you know, and then you go through these times where, yeah, anyway, keep well, going. And, and there's just burnout. I mean, I think. Yeah. How, so, you know, there's, there's different phases of the company. And I think for us, we've got really good systems. We've got really good process, really making sure that we are taking good care of our people and not letting them burn out and finding ways for them to continue to find joy and work and stuff. So I think a lot of emphasis on that. I also think we have a lot of refinement to do. We've adopted some new technology. Like I mentioned, you know, we're, we're doing our sales. You know, we're selling $800,000, $900,000 projects via Zoom. There's projects where that I've designed that are in construction where I've never been to the job site. I've never seen the house. I've never met the owners in person. It's all stuff that tells us it's very possible to do it that way. But refining the way that we do it, making sure that our, all of our software is integrating really nicely and looking for more efficiencies. I feel like there's more software coming online right now that's in part reaction, but it also is in part software companies looking at this industry and realizing that there's a lot of opportunity for engagement with the remodeling community and with the construction community for to, to give us better tools. Mm-hmm. So I think that I'm going to spend the next three to five years looking trying to look forward a little bit and sort out those technologies, figure out which ones we want to integrate into our company. But then I've got to figure out a way for us not to be stuck 
because I feel like the speed with which things are changing is accelerating. And I That's don't right. want to have us say, well, no, but this is the way we do it now. I want to make sure that we keep our, our elasticity. A friend of mine used, used this, this comment about friction and how do we go and make frictionless? Like how do we make everything just that much smoother and cleaner, any pain points, any sticky bits, you know, in that client interaction or even our, in our own inter-office interaction, how do we continue to tweak and dial those in? So I feel like lots of refinement and then also keeping that, that adapt or die mentality alive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, and you kind of, you made a comment, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes ago about, uh, it was a quick aside about, and hey, everyone listening, like make sure you're looking at the future forecasting. I guess, what are, what are you seeing? What are you looking at just for our industry over the next few years? Like you kind of dropped that comment in and I felt like you, you wanted to say something else there. So I want to know what you wanted to say. <laughs> I don't know if I have something specific. I think more that when I hear people say, oh, who could have seen that coming? And I think lots of people saw that coming. I mean, I know I was in the room when I heard people talking about this unraveling that was going to be taking place. I think as business owners, it's part of our job to look forward and to go to those resources that make it their job to forecast and to look forward. It's not that there's certainty, but we can also, like, we can use historical data about housing starts and we can use historical data about, you know, recession cycles and growth in our industry. And, you know, last year, you know, if there was five to 7% growth and this year, the prediction is eight to 9% growth in the industry, that's a lot of growth. 2023, the likelihood that it would see a similar amount of growth is incredibly low. Historically, that's just not the way that it works, right? So we should expect softening. So how do we plan for that? So I think my, my comment there is just, there's a lot of great information to be harvested from historical data and the people who look forward. I, I will note we, have, we had uh, trade wars for four years that pushed the prices of certain commodities up. We, like a lot of us, we saw steel, HVAC equipment, you know, jumped 30, 40%. Then we have supply chain issues that pushed lumber up. We've got wild fluctuations with uh, currently with materials being unpredictable in terms of what they cost. So escalation clauses are really important right now. We've seen increase in wages because people want to retain their talent. So everyone's overhead went up. And we've got inflation, which is pushing the price of general goods up. What I would say is the upper end of the market, the people who don't ever need financing, that market is always kind of what it is. But the stratification of income levels in the United States, and I'm not, I'm not a burned down Wall Street guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm very much just a realist and a pragmatist, but... If I'm pricing out a kitchen remodel and I can't get it under $100,000, there are people who out there who make less than $10 an hour who need their kitchens fixed because they're falling apart. And I think that we're going to discover that there's a big, this kind of large segment of the population that's going to be unable to maintain their homes. And I worry about what that means for social stability. So the other piece is, is immigration. We don't have enough labor, and maybe it's politically incorrect to say it, but there's not a lot of white kids who are like, hey, I want to go into the trades. 
But we do have folks who are coming to the U.S. where the trades are a big part of their lives. And honestly, they they are they're very they work really hard. They bring incredible skill set. And so, to the extent that we stop with this whole xenophobic nonsense about oh, they're going to take our jobs, and we really encourage a greater influx. We, we need more people in the trades, and those people are going to be coming from other countries. So we need to learn other languages, and we need to open up a process where we are you know, inviting them in to join our companies. So yeah. there, how's that for no, the forecast? No, that's great. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I feel like, well, now I just want to spend two more hours talking about all the like economic stuff because I love that. But uh, but we won't for today. Maybe we'll bring you back and we'll do another round. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of factors at play right now and they're kind of all leading to like, you, you just got to be paying attention so you know where to make your moves. And yeah, like nobody can see exactly into the future, but I think you make a good point is like, you can make really good guesses and, you know, and then make good moves based on that. So, well, let's, let's wrap up today with just, if you could leave, Listeners, you know, other remodelers like yourself with one piece of advice, what would that be? I thought I was going to get to hear your predict, prediction, predict, uh, prediction for the next three we to five can, years. We can do that. Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it's a ton different from yours. I, I do think that next year we'll see a softening, but in my mind, a softening actually just means it's still a really strong market because if you've grown at, you know, one, two, three percent for the previous few years, and then 2021, it grew by like four, five, six percent. And then this year, I just saw some forecasts. It was supposed to like Q4 or Q3 is supposed to peak at like 18 percent growth or something. It's, it's like seven and a half, nine and a half, like 18. And then it starts to like tail down, but it tails down to like 16 percent in Q4. And so I'm going, well, if that's growth over the previous year, which was bigger than the previous year, like if we come down and, and grow at 3%, you're still off of new highs. So I just think about that. And so I, I feel like the next few years will still be fairly strong just in terms of like the supply demand ratio. And I think some of it is due to some of the factors you described. We don't have enough people coming into the trades. There's high demand for that. And then we have people retiring every year out of the trades and we're not replacing them at that volume. So if you just look at supply and demand, you're just going, yeah, there's still going to be healthy support for the industry in terms of that ratio. Plus, we're still 5 million or whatever homes short, you know, on supply. So people are having trouble buying or they don't want, they're not a cash buyer. So then they, they're like, great, we'll just remodel. So I think even that is supporting remodeling. So I, I mean... I don't want to be that guy that's like, it's going to be great for five years. And then like, you know, there's a war that started and everything crashes. Like, I, you know, I don't have the crystal ball either, but I think there are a lot of factors that are pushing towards healthy demand with low supply, but there's other factors that create challenges, supply chain, price increases, labor increases. And, the, and then eventually we will hit a cap where you said it, the, the top end of the market can pay whatever. But then right below that, even the upper middle class, they're going to hit a wall where they're like, okay, like that's just too much. And, and all the prices aren't keeping up with their increases in salaries. So maybe one or two more years where it's pretty good. And then it gets a little dicey. I don't know. So there's, there's yeah. my soft prediction, I guess. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's yeah. a good one. All right, cool. Well, hit, hit us up with your final piece of advice then. I'm not going to let you uh, sneak out oh. without that one. <laughs> final piece of advice. It's not about the money. Purpose of your company is not to make money. 
And the sooner that you figure that out, the happier you will be and the more successful your, your company will be. It's a requirement, but it's not the purpose. Right on, right on. Well said. Well, Michael, I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for joining me today. This was awesome. Yeah, Spencer, it was a blast. Anytime. It was, uh, it was good. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.